It's OLWJ Captivation, unlimited enthusiasm toward the future. The podcast introducing you to boundless superstars and other professional individuals who are capable of providing you information on achieving maximum success. Segments and episodes of the podcast will be devoted to financial wellness, for everyone deserves a shot at broadening their financial horizon. I am the host, Otis Lewis Wilson Jr. Welcome. From the beginning, you know what I must do. Offer special thanks to you, the audience and special guests who make this podcast possible. I offer my sincerest appreciation and ask that you tell someone else all about it so that they can check it out as well. On this episode of the podcast, I am going into the archives for an interview that I did with Kathy Michael, a teacher of the blind and vision impaired for over 40 years. She had some great information to share on how blind and vision impaired people are educated so that they can compete with their sighted counterparts. I find that there are so many people who just don't get it. Anyways, here is that recorded interview with Kathy Michael right here on OLWJ Captivation, the podcast in which the letters in the title represent my name. Welcome to this episode of Boundless. I am indeed privileged to have as a special guest on this episode, a teacher of mine for a very long time, a special teacher indeed, Kathy Michael. Welcome to Boundless, Miss Kathy, or Mrs. Kathy. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Otis. <laughs> Glad let's, to be here. Let's start by you telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, I've been um, in education uh, for over 40 years. We were talking earlier, and I said I forgot how to count past that. Um, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Uh, I come from a family of educators, and um, I didn't expect to really teach uh, for as long as I did, um, but here I am. Uh, I have several certifications. Um, you met me as an art teacher. Um, I was certified in reading. I certified in visual impairments, uh, child search. So what brought about you know, you said that you have a lot of family members who were educators, but the disability aspect of it all, what brought that on? Uh, actually, a friend that you know, um, Mrs. Cheryl, she was Johnson then, she was Ms. Wakamati. Mm -hmm. um, she went to, she was asked to teach at the School for the Blind at Southern University. And she was in fine arts while I was in art education. And she would come back talking about the little kids, little kids. And I said, I was working with high school then. I was teaching a high school art. And I was like, oh, Lord, you don't get that in high school. <laughs> you know? So I said, oh, it would be so great to work with little ones. I think I would like to try that. And uh, little did I know when the schools uh, merged, you know, there was the school at Southern and the school... Uh, for the blind at the um, uh, at Government Street, 
in other words, the um, they were segregated, semi-segregated back then, and they merged. And uh, something told me, why don't you go by there and um, on Government Street and try, and then we'll be in the same field and we can trade notes. I didn't know that she had actually quit and that the schools had merged and it was the same school. So um, uh, the man called me back. We don't need anybody now, but he called back and he said, yeah, we do need somebody after all. So will you come on by and uh, we'll set things up and we'll hire you. And I got so interested in um, the visual impairments aspect and teaching art to visually impair. Oh, it just made me, uh, made me curious. It made me want to learn. Um, and so I did. And, um, I only needed a few more classes because I was in education already. Just those that were uh, particular to visual impairments. And I got certified over the next summer and, uh, that, that was it. I just wanted to learn more and more, and so I did. And I appreciate all my students that used to come check my Braille behind me when I was first <laughs> learning and that kind of stuff. Yes. Now, you mentioned the word Braille. There are a lot of individuals listening who do not know what Braille is. So talk to them about Braille. What is it all about? Well, Braille is not another language. It's unless you speak another language. Uh, it is just another way of reading by touch for the blind. Um, the symbols are all based on a, uh, a cell system that, that is composed of uh, six cells and you can arrange the dots in those cells and it is more conducive to reading for the blind than raised print letters. So um, that's what Braille is, and uh, you know what? I really, really like Braille. I just yeah. love using it, uh, love reading it, love teaching it. So, and it helps for all of us to be literate. And people who need Braille or should have the same opportunity to be literate as people who read print. Now, you mentioned the word art, and when you say words like art and blind, mm -hmm. people probably only associate with uh, blind people music as a form of art, but talk to me about the different things you did as an art teacher teacher with blind kids. Oh, um, well, we did, we did do a lot of crafts. Uh, however, I believed in uh, getting the elements to uh, visually impaired kids as well. And, um, so I taught some the elements in a design and color and, and all those things, even to totally blind. Um, I know you remember one of our students that was in the art club with us. Yeah, we had an art club. Um, she was looking really sad when I took the boys on the class because all the boys could see and I had them do something and I was gonna start her on design because it would be, you know, you could get it more tactile and she, her head dropped. Mm -hmm. And I said, you want to do what they're doing, right? She said, yes, ma'am. And so I said, we're going to figure this out. So we had a color wheel. She learned the color wheel and um, she was better at the boys with it because I made it tactile where you could feel and understand and know what, uh, memorize what colors 
you mix to get other colors and that kind of thing. So it involved a lot of, um, of uh, I, I don't want to say theory, but yeah, uh, elements of art as well as a lot of the crafts. So I try to mix all of that together. So there's the color aspect, there's the touch and feel aspect of it all, but coming together for blind and vision impaired kids to do art. Very exciting indeed, very exciting indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned art club, and what was that all about? Well, I had been a part of, um, Louisiana had a Youth Art Council of America, and it was to encourage um, art and art education, art appreciation mm -hmm. for middle school through high school students. And uh, actually, I know you don't know this, but I was one of the charter members as a high school student. And when, at my first teaching job, I hadn't heard of it since until then, until um, again, until I started teaching. And I said, well, since I'm teaching here at the School for the Blind, we should have one, two. We can do this. These kids can do this. And so we had an art club. So we had our little local chapter there on campus and we were the only residential or special school that was affiliated with this organization this statewide organization so uh, one advantage that you all had was that you could start in elementary not elementary um middle school at the same school and go through high school in the same organization where other schools had to, you had a middle school student that was in it, they'd have to go to the next high school and be in it again, you know. So everybody got to know you guys and that was educating all these sighted kids and all your sighted peers in the other schools as to what you were capable of or, you know, that you were human beings just like they were, they saw all your commonalities rather than your differences so much. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, Oh, and our art club, um, we would not just stick around in the art room and do stuff and talk stuff. We would get, we would hit the road. We hit the road a lot. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had a lot of fun adventures, uh, even um, a place that people would not expect us to go to. And that was the state capitol building after school where we looked at the outside, we, were, we had been talking about freezes and reliefs, and that building is covered with that. Mm -hmm. Usually when you go for social studies, you say, well, we're learning about bicarbonyl legislation, <laughs> we're learning about this, but not the designs, the art that is included on the outside of the building. Right. So, that, yes. Those kind of things were fun. And that was what our art club was all about. It wasn't about who had talent. It was about who had interest, who wanted to learn. Uh, and just the family that we formed from just being an art club. Because you guys were great about taking care of each other. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. When you talk about getting blind kids out into the community, I guess you would say, Mm -hmm. What did this do for the kids' self-esteem? How I did think, it make them feel? Well, 
they were happy to get out and off campus. I mean, it's not like you didn't go anywhere. But when you went with the art club, there was a special, um, oh, there was another kind of specialness to that. You know, first you were going with family. Um, there was learning about being in public. Um, you know, whether you're going to have good experiences or bad experiences or an opportunity to teach someone who's sighted. You know, we were all about that. Um, and then just learning that you can find art everywhere you go. It's in the design of a building. It's in your clothing. It's in the other things that we would go to see, you know. When you talk about art clubs and taking blind kids out into the community to different events uh, for art, but education in general, there is the specialized school set up and mm -hmm. then there is the public school set up for uh, mm -hmm. kids with disabilities. We won't just say blind kids, but, but yeah. kids with disabilities. Explain to the audience these types of setups and how they're different. Well, the, um, we, well in special education, we call them, um, what do you call it? Um, restrictive environment and type of appropriate environments, appropriate environments. And one is the most restrictive is supposed to be residential schools. The least restrictive is supposed to be the home school, you know, not the, you know, at home, but your neighborhood school. Mm -hmm. um, the only difference is, I mean, it's a matter of choice. However, uh, back when you guys were in school a million years ago. About that long, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, these different parishes did not have uh, the resources to handle visually impaired children at their school. And these parishes and these um, neighborhood schools are getting what they need now. Um, there are certain specialized things that I think some kids need and some parents feel more comfortable with their kids having at a residential school, uh, which is which is fine. I've had a lot of multi-handicapped children that I've said, look, go here at least for a while and then come back or go see how you like it. You know, if you need to stay, you're not going to hurt my feelings. You know, it's, it's up to you what you see that your child is learning, what your child needs there, you know. But um, more and more parents are opting for keeping their kids at home and going to the neighborhood school and having services provided for them. And they have every right for that. They have every right to that. Now, even back in your day, the movement was towards neighborhood schools. It was getting closer and closer to that because these parents were demanding that their kids have things as normal as possible and have certain services provided for them at their, home, at their neighborhood school. They were demanding this and they had the right to demand it. Somebody's got to find out what to do. Um, still, you have a lot of places I've met. Um, they call us TVI, Teachers of Visually Impaired, uh, who... Um, they are far and few between because it's hard to get certified. It's hard to get courses. So I've met people who have very wide territories, very wide. They have to travel quite a bit to reach 
this low incidence population of their visually impaired students. So um, there's, they're having a hard time. And then some places it's um, pretty good, you know? So mm -hmm. it depends on where you live, um, what your preference is for your child. Uh, it also, it depends on um, the, the degree of, uh, or the severity of their disabilities. Cause sometimes, you know, blindness and visually impaired situations sometimes accompany other disabilities and you have to watch out for that as well. Right, right. Yeah, so a lot of multi-disabled children are going to residential schools because sometimes their homeschool can't handle all of those different disabilities that those children may, you know, in the situation of those kids, you know. Mm -hmm. so. Over time, there have been so many debates about this. You know, some people saying that they wish they had gone to uh, a school that was capable of teaching them the right things. Mm -hmm. Other students or individuals felt the opposite. Why do you suppose the debate is is so strong? I mean, why why do you feel that some people are so opposed to specialized schools? I think that is why, because of resources. Um, technology has come so far and there are different things technologically to learn and to teach. Uh, so kids can, um, they can pretty much do a lot of things that their sighted peers can do in their home school. Um, and it wasn't always that way. So I think that is it. And then some people say, well, I'm nostalgic about that. I want my child to have, if I was visually impaired and I went to a residential school, I want my kids to have the same experience because it was great. And I know we got well-rounded that way. And some people are just the total opposite on that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's where the, a lot of the debate comes in. And then some people have certain limits and feel like there is a special place for blindness and there's a, um, and it's not at a place for the sighted. Uh, I've I met a parent that was afraid of their child being knocked around by sighted kids, you know, like they were gonna take advantage and that kind of thing. So they were afraid of that. So all those things are reasons and like, again, it just depends on the individual. I, I think both should be available for those different, um, those different tastes or those different choices because every child learns differently and every child needs a different type of exposure. I've had some of my public school kids where they are saying, well, I'm the only one like me. And I say, you need to get in contact with the blind community. If the School for the Blind has a summer camp, uh, NFB has something, uh, conference going on, go to these things and you meet other kids that are like you, you know, and then that's where you keep your community. Yeah. Right. Now, when you speak of NFB, you're speaking of the National Federation of the Blind. Is that correct? Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. And there's there are other organizations. Uh, that's one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, they're very outspoken, outstanding, and it it's uh, 
um, it's it just one that comes, but there are several. There are several, yeah. If you think about the number of years that you've been an educator and the number of changes that have taken place, how have you managed to adapt to the changes? Mm, well, I'm the kind of person, um, you know, my, my master's degree is in uh, educational media. So I've always been interested in um, a certain technology aspect of things. So um, I'm, I'm calling, I'm finding out. Um, my daughter, I would ask her, I would call you and ask you. So I'm just one that's always wanted to know and to learn and to do. There was not this much, much technology. I mean, it, it goes so fast. Every time you turn around, there's something else that's new. And I say, oh, oh I want to learn. I want to know. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's the major change, I think, is the um, the technology that's available out there. Uh, I had a student not too long ago that was making excuses. I've had a couple of them. Um, make excuses to their teachers and figure that they don't know any better, not knowing that, hey, I'm their teacher's resource too. Mm -hmm. And um, they'll tell them, well, I can't do this because I don't have this and I'm visually impaired and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, you know, that student's pulling your leg. Look, she can do this on this and he can do that on this, you know, <laughs> do the same thing as the rest of your kids and Absolutely. turn it in at the same time. They're making, they're trying to pull your leg on that one, you know. So we didn't have that um, back many eons mm -hmm. ago. When mm -hmm. you were in school, <laughs> yes, this is true. This <laughs> is true. Uh, when we think about uh, yeah. using the computer, there was no screen reading technology. Uh, we were using Smith Corona right, typewriters, yeah. you know. Oh, yes. I still can't <laughs> use those. So, yes, it is definitely <laughs> amazing how far things have come over the years. But you said educational media. Yes, I've indeed. never heard of that aspect of, of uh, education. What What does that involve? What is it all about? I'm curious. Oh, well, it, it covered back then a wide variety of things. Um, it had to do with making audio, um, vi audio visuals, um, television production, radio production, uh, recording. Mm -hmm. um, yes, and using them for education. Even we, we used to have to hand make these signs and things like that uh, for our presentations. Now you can do it on PowerPoint. Whenever something changes in that, right. I come up with, uh, somebody show me how to do that. <laughs> I'm going to do that too. I am determined to do that. When you think about the experiences that you've had working in different environments, what is it about the education field that has kept you going? I think my students, that, that is the only thing. I, I enjoy it so much. I enjoy the kids. I enjoy learning about children. Um, I tell a lot of people that when I was at the school for the blind with you guys, that you, you all taught me a lot. I used to read every single folder, every folder. It might take me the whole 
school year, mm -hmm. but I read all of those evaluations and uh, look up some of the, especially with the children with multiple disabilities, look these things up and, and figure out why they made them, uh, why, why, how are they associated with blindness and vision? I would look up how to, how, well, how different people learn, how people learn differently. And the fun part of solving a puzzle is to solve how this person learns so that you can teach them. And that, that was teaching me just paying attention to things like that. And it has come in handy later because um, I've since had a, a class of varying degrees of deaf blindness, a deaf blind class in Florida. I've had a preschool visually impaired class where all the children were born premature. Um, I had suspected some autism in the class. Uh, and I was right. <laughs> and as I learned about autism and I just found it so interesting, just so interesting how kids think and how they feel and, and what, um, you know, like they're looking at how uh, their people were saying, this child is so unpredictable. They might go off at any time. I'm like, you need to look at what's making them go off because if they can, can't, express themselves orally or they they can't put it into words if they can talk you know you need to look at what's going on every day at the same time to make this child act mm -hmm. this way you know so that those that's kind of fun to me too that's very fun and interesting to me something to figure out and to do so and it's work and it helps with reading as well because like I said I certified in teaching reading I just got so very interested in. I love to read and figuring out how people look at words and how they interpret, you know, code and encode these words and letters and what problems kids have in reading. And I was like, oh, this one learns this way. So maybe if we try this, you know, this will work. And so I just love, I love doing that. And that's what keeps me going. I just love this. Yes, I love it. awesome, fantastic. It's amazing when you think about being in this field for so long, but also the kids of the different disabilities. I can only imagine mm -hmm. how challenging that has been for you. Or am I wrong about saying that it's been challenging? What What's your aspect or your thoughts on that? Uh I think of it more as just, I don't know, a challenging, I think, of difficulty. And I think of it more as just, well, I guess that would be, oh, I don't know. It, not difficult so much as that's sort of fun to me. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, I get to learn something. I get to learn something else. Yes. You know? Uh, I guess I'm a, a lifelong learner. We don't right. stop learning. And I get to learn something else. I get to crack this code. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the code you have to crack, nobody has written about it in a book because this is an individual that you're figuring out. You're figuring out how they learn and what right. reaches them. Right. And that is absolutely fun to mm -hmm. me. 
I can't. It may be weird to some people, but I, that's well, it's just it, it just fascinating. Know, everybody, everybody has <laughs> that aspect of thought on something, though. You know, I think we all are yeah. in that state of mind on something. You know, some people like cooking. Yeah. People like, you know, yeah. entertainment, whatever the case may be. So I think that is rather interesting because a lot of people don't think of education from that aspect, but that is unique and rather special, in my opinion. That's how I see that myself. Um, mm -hmm. In working in that environment also, I can understand where you're coming from with that. When you think about mm -hmm. the number of years that you've been in education, what do you think is missing in the education field or in the education environment? What is missing? What's not there yet? What can we do better? Oh, some of the things that have really changed are what teachers do or what they um they have to teach and record data in a way that someone else thinks that they think who has not been in a class thinks that they should. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like test scores are so very important now. Um, it used to be that you made your own end of the year exam for what you taught. And now somebody else is, you know, it went to um, these other tests, prepared tests, and they're kind of coming back to that, except somebody else is making your end of the year test. I was like, well, gee, where did that idea come from? Uh, a lot of those things are taken away from teachers, and there is so much. There always was a special ed, and now there is uh, for everybody. It's almost overwhelming and it's um, discouraging a lot of these younger teachers. They're not staying in, in the field as long. So when we talk about tests, we're talking about the different types of tests overall. In other words, testing in general, you would say? Yeah, high stakes testing, what they call it high stakes testing. You know, we used to only have uh, SATs and ACTs. Mm -hmm. Um, that was before your time too, but, <laughs> but that was what we had and whatever subject matter you had, your teacher, uh, had all of her information or his information from what they taught the whole year. And they would make their own final exams based on that, their end of the semester and end of the year test on that. That's, that's not. So now it's done by these companies and you have to cover so much information, okay. prove that okay. you did prove it, you did teach it, and your children's grades have to prove it as well. And it's strange. Yes, it, that's a strange and it but yes. in, in some ways it's that is very discouraging. It's extremely discouraging to a lot of people. That among other things, all the paper. The paper that follows it, it's it's kind of discouraging, and that's what's changing. Right. That's what, but I think if politics got out of the classroom, mm -hmm. out of schools, that's my humble opinion. That's what 
because you paid for it. But, <laughs> but you know, they got out of because you can get elected to something else. And if you say, I'm going to change that and we're going to fire all these teachers that do this no. and we're going to make these schools do that. And that's said by a person mm -hmm. to some people who haven't been in the classroom since they left. And they don't even know if it's feasible mm -hmm. or not. Well, that's the kind of changes and stuff. So, you know, I did retire, um, but I came back. Another smaller school district has hired me part-time, so I can do part-time. And I actually get to, I still have children on consult, and I have one that I teach Braille to. And I work really hard on with her, right. and it's fun. She's a challenge, and that is fun. <laughs> mm -hmm. I see. For individuals who might be thinking about a career in education, particularly in educating uh, children with disabilities, what type of advice would you give to them? I would say take your, um, go into some classes, volunteer to go into some classes. Um, go into special ed at your local school and volunteer to work with the, with a teacher in there before you get to your intern teaching. Um, you might even want to start doing that in high school if you can. Um, so it may be easier in college, but I would volunteer. Make sure that that is exactly what you want to do because there are some things about our kids that are not going to be taught to you um, from any book. There are things that you have to just do and you just understand. And if you're meant to do it, you're going to say, oh, wow, yeah, I'm going to finish this out. This is going to be my major. I'll be back and I'll see you all when you're ready to hire me when I'm done <laughs> with college. <laughs> well, Mrs. Michael, it's been a pleasure to have you here. And I have one final question, but I will say this first. In contacting you, I felt like you would be an awesome guest for this podcast simply because you are an example of what it represents. And that's a person who has worked hard to achieve the things that you have wanted to achieve. In addition to that, you have played a major part in helping others to achieve what they have wanted to achieve. And what's most special about that, it's children with disabilities. And I will say to you that, you know, that's congratulatory. But in your own mind, What's your definition of someone being boundless? It's like I read this article about how fast your reading rate is supposed to be if you're a print reader versus a Braille reader. And the article mm -hmm. said there are some people who read Braille as fast or faster than someone who reads print. 
It's because no one told them that they were supposed to read any slower than someone who reads print. Mm -hmm. And that to me mm -hmm. is what boundless mm -hmm. is. It's when somebody told, nobody told you that because you have a disability, you're, you're going to be a braille reader, uh, you uh, don't have as much money. Nobody told you that you're not supposed to be able to do blah blah And so you have not placed those limits on yourself from hearing that and the possibilities boundless. Any comments, feedback, or suggestions regarding this podcast is welcome. For a motivational speaker, Les Brown once said, it's okay to fail because if you land on your back, you can look up and then get up. Until next time, take care.